started with nothing, and by the end of seven days, they literally have framed and built an entire church building for this congregation in Junction, Illinois. So, brothers, we're so thankful you guys got to serve. We're glad to welcome you back. And we look forward to hearing an update about it and hearing more about what you guys got to do and what the Lord did in you through this week. Now, several upcoming opportunities want to make sure that you're aware of. First of all, for the ladies, you have a ladies' tea coming up in July. On Saturday, July 15th at the Gazebo Tea Room, we'll be emailing you details this week. Registration is required for that. It's limited to 22 people, and it'll be for ages 19 and up. And so be watching, ladies, for an email coming out this week on that. Just want to remind you as well, ladies, there's a ladies' Bible study on Tuesday nights. This summer meets in the gym building at 6 p.m. every Tuesday. You are more than welcome to come plug in to that and find some community there. Now for the men, we have several opportunities coming up for you as well. This Wednesday, we continue our men's summer fellowships, and these are opportunities for men to get together to build friendships with a goal of discipleship coming out of these friendships that deepen. This Wednesday, we're doing a trail hike at the AUM Trails. So we're going to meet out at AUM, not on the paved path. We're going to park near the baseball field on a gravel road, and we're going to hike in the woods behind AUM. There's several miles of trails back there. It's a beautiful area. It's not hard or strenuous. It's just a fun way to get out and walk together. We'll do a devotional in the woods together, and then we'll pray for each other before we leave. So men, join us 6 p.m. Wednesday night at the AUM Trails. You should have received an email about that. If you are coming to Gateway as a man and you did not get that email, please see me or see anyone on staff. We want you to be getting communications about that. Now, men, two other opportunities coming up for you as well because there's some deadlines coming up. I want you to know about them. Second of all, we have a men's biscuits game night outing. So we're going to see our local team play, not this Wednesday, but the following Wednesday. So we have two back-to-back things. That's on Wednesday, July 28th at 6 p.m. that night. And this is for men of all ages, including the boys. So dads, bring your elementary-age sons of any age with you. The youth guys are going to be joining us that night as well. So men of any ages, boys of any ages, come join us on Wednesday, July 28th for the Biscuits game. Now, the reason I mention that is the deadline to sign up is this Thursday. We have to make sure the Biscuits have the tickets reserved for us in a block, and we have to let them know that on Friday. So the deadline to sign up for that is this Thursday. So go ahead and do that this week if you're interested in joining us. Details are on the website. One more opportunity for men. People have been asking us if we could do dad-daughter activities. So that following Saturday, we're doing a dad-daughter night at the Biscuits. Now, we picked this week. I know it's men, two Biscuits games in one week, but there's a reason for that. That Saturday night is Princess Night at the Biscuits. And so I've taken my Mary Elizabeth to this before, and it's been a blast. And so dads, if you want something special to do with your daughter, even older men, you can bring your grown daughter to this if you want to. We're going to have a dad-daughter outing to the Biscuits game for Princess Night on Saturday, July 1st. Details and events on on the website. Now, one more opportunity here is from Alex Hood. Alex is one of our deacons. Where's Alex at? He's a deacon for security to help us keep the campus safe, and he has an opportunity for people to serve. So, yeah, Alex, if you want to grab that and let the guys know about it. Hello. Hey, good morning, Gateway family. Uh, Got a few opportunities for everybody to serve uh, or not everybody to serve, got a few opportunities for people who feel uh, inclined to serve on the safety and security team. The first opportunity is uh, watching the cameras, the camera monitor position. We've got a panel of uh, screens in the office, and uh, we need some more volunteers on the team who are willing to come in there on a Sunday morning. We'd like to expand that to Wednesday night activities as well. So having uh, time to commit to uh, watching the cameras, watching what's going on on campus, and uh, to help make the campus a safer place. The other couple opportunities, 
that we're looking for help on the security and safety team is uh, there's a, a lot of people who are in the church who are already a medical professional or a lay rescuer trained in first aid, CPR, AED, all of that. If you are trained and want to help out uh, in any emergency that might happen on campus, please come see me. Also, we'd like to get your contact information. That way we can include you on any uh, scenario training we might do here in the future. If you are interested in training, we're going to be hosting some training opportunities for uh, those who are not certified or trained yet. So that will be some free opportunities to, to get some training in CPR and safety. And the, the last thing is if anybody has a law enforcement background or uh, private security background, if you'd come see me, we'd like to include you in the conversation about uh, church safety and how to make campus a safer place. So all of this will be coming out on the blog here in the next week. Thanks. Thanks, Alex. So see, Alex, if you'd like to learn more and jump in, it's open to men or women in the church. So any adult who'd like to help out. <clears throat> Thank you, Alex, for all you do to help make sure we're safe as we gather to worship the Lord. Now, this morning to kick off our service, we want to invite the boys and girls who've been in Vacation Bible School this week to come on down to the front. We want you to sing for us. So let's put the kindergartners and first graders down on the floor here, second and third grade on the steps, and then our fourth and fifth graders, if you'll come to the very back up here. So we want to make sure everyone can be seen on this. So we want the boys and girls to share with you two of their songs they've been learning in Vacation Bible School. Yeah, come on up here, guys. We can make room for everyone more. If we get some room down here, and even need to slide down here. Got a big crowd. So they're going to sing for us two of the songs they learned, and then they're going to share their scripture and memory verse with us. So let's make sure everybody can get in there. Everybody good? So our theme this year for Vacation Bible School is Twist and Turns. And so the boys and girls are going to tell us Twist and Turns, and they're also going to sing for us about the holiness of God, one of their lessons and main themes this week. So boys and girls, let's praise the Lord together. Here we go, Jesus will let us know what we need to 
Yeah, boys and girls, stay, stay right there for us. So there's a scripture memory that they worked on all this week, and that's from Psalm 25.4. Guys, could you say to the congregation Psalm 25.4? I think you know it well. Ready? That's great. That's your motto. Now, how about Psalm 25.4 now? Ready? Make your ways known to me, or teach me your past. Now, that's a great challenge for us. So I want that to be our call to worship scripture for today. So adults, would you stand up? Kids, stay up here. We're going to say it all together as a congregation. as our call to worship this morning. Psalm 25.4. Let's say it together. Make your ways known to me, Lord, teach me your path. And that is our desire to happen today. Boys and girls, thank you so much. You may return to your seats. Everyone else, just remain standing. We're going to sing to the Lord together and worship him this morning.
hope, source of purpose, source of promise. God, we're here to worship you this morning, our all in all. You are a rock, you're our fortress, you're our stronghold, you're our comfort and our peace. Lord, may that be our prayer this morning, Lord, that you would take our ransomed lives that you bought with your shed blood, with your sacrifice, you purchased us. We are yours, we are not our own. We are your possessions, God, to do as you see fit. So may that be our cry this morning, God. Use our hands, our feet, our miles, our hearts, our minds, everything for your honor and glory as you see fit. That we would submit ourselves to you, yield ourselves, surrender ourselves each day to do as you see fit in our lives, Lord, because you are worthy. Lord, I just keep getting reminded of when you looked at the apostles when some of your other followers left and they said, are you going to leave too? And Peter's like, where are we going to go? There's nowhere else to go. There's nowhere else to follow because you are the source of all things. You are life itself. So Lord, may that be our heart's cry this week as we continue on with where you have placed us in our spheres of influence, in our jobs, in our families, in our social spheres of being able to interact with people in our community, Lord. Give us opportunities, divine appointments, God, to be salt and light, to represent you well display your glory, your mercy, grace, and love to those around us. So we just praise you for that today, God, because you are worthy of our praise. Lord, we thank you for this amazing week that we had previously with the VBS. We thank you for our wonderful kids that we got to see worship this morning. And Lord, we just pray for each one that attended this week, God, that every seed that was sown, every treasure of the gospel that was sown in their hearts that they heard would take deep root, God, that you would change the lives of these children. For those that didn't haven't known you yet or placed their faith and trust in you, God, we pray that they would have conversations this week with their parents, that they would stir and talk about the stories and just continue to relate about all they got to experience that week, God. We want to see these precious kids come to saving faith in you. And for those that do know you, Lord, that there would be opportunities to continue to help them grow in their faith and to talk about these stories and all they learned, that they would get to encounter you in a special way even this week. But we thank you for all the volunteers, everyone that gave them their time effort, Lord, to make it just a wonderful week as we honored and glorified you. And Lord, we lift up this morning our youth, our teenagers that are heading out tomorrow morning really early for us to head to North Carolina for our youth missions camp at Deep Impact. Uh, We just pray for your protection as we drive up. We pray, God, that you would order our steps, that you would prepare the way with the weather and all the opportunities we're going to have for five days, Lord, to serve in the community of Hendersonville, being salt and light doing practical needs of construction, working with children, senior adults, opportunities to share our faith and evangelize in that community, Lord. We just pray you would stir the hearts of these teenagers to prepare them, Lord, as they are going to reach out and serve this community to be your hands and feet, and that they would also grow in their faith with the teaching time, the worship time, as we have small group, everything that takes place, God, that each one of these young people would come back different. They would come back closer to you, more intimate with you, and we just thank you for that wonderful opportunity. And Lord, we thank you. We get to pray for our brothers and sisters across this community. Lord, this morning we lift up Dalreda Baptist Church and specifically um, Associate Pastor Tommy Fikes, who is uh, preaching this morning in view of a call to become their senior pastor. And uh, Lord, I've known Tommy for many years and just want to lift him up to you this morning that you would bless him and give him your words of wisdom as he is uh, coming behind that pulpit this morning, Lord, to possibly be voted in to be their senior shepherd. We just thank you for that community of faith. We thank you for the many relationships we know and that we're building there in Dalreda. Just bless them this morning, encourage them, and we're just excited about the new beginnings that you have for Tommy and that faith family at Dalreda. Lord, again, we thank you for your provision. We 
thank you that you're such a good God and we are so blessed. We thank you for the opportunity this morning to give online and uh, those that have given today. We ask you to continue to bless our resources as we are good stewards of what you have provided for us, that we would use them faithfully and for your kingdom work here. And God, we thank you for Grady. Thank you so much for our senior shepherd. Thank you for his heart to love us, to care for us, to protect us, to teach us, to have compassion and love for his sheep. We pray you would bless him this morning. Just refresh him with your spirit, Lord, as he brings your word, that you would just give him wisdom and discernment as he shares this morning. And God, again, we love you. We praise you. You are faithful and good and worthy of all that we have and are. We bless you today, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Seated in first to fourth graders who'd like to go to kids' worship this morning, you are welcome to be dismissed. You're with Mr. John and Miss Lisa today. Welcome to the kids' worship team, John and Lisa. You guys have fun back there with them this morning. And parents, just a reminder, if you're first to fourth graders, go to kids' worship as soon as the service is over. Before you get into those fun fellowship conversations, please go to the Blue Hall in the gym building and pick up your children. Then come back in here and enjoy fellowshipping with your friends. Now, as the kids are headed that way, I want you to find 1 Peter chapter 5 in your copy of God's Word. 1 Peter chapter 5 this morning. Now, as you're finding 1 Peter 5, I want to ask you, when you were a child, did your parents or grandparents or perhaps even a neighbor ever tell you, be careful, be alert. Did you ever hear that when you were a child? Perhaps you were riding your bike to the neighborhood park and your parents gave you that exhortation to pay attention on the road as you bike there. Perhaps you were a teenager learning how to drive and your parents wanted to make sure you knew there were dangers on the road and so they kept telling you to be alert as you got in the car. Perhaps even now you still get those reminders from parents or grandparents or neighbors or friends or if nothing else from Josh Johnson on the weather alerts when you know it's a first alert weather day, you're supposed to be alert because the storms are coming, right? Why do people tell us be alert or be careful? Well, one, it's because they care for us. But number two, they say that because they know that we will face dangers in whatever we're going to do. And people know that if we are not alert, those risks, those dangers get magnified. If you're riding your bike to the park and you're not alert and you're not being careful, a car backing out the driveway could hit you. If you're driving and you're not alert and you're drowsy, you could cause a wreck. And if you're oblivious to that tornado that's coming because you did not know it was a first alert weather day, you could be at risk if the tornado hits your house. There are real dangers out there, so very frequently we tell people, or we are told, be alert, be careful. Now, friends, as we continue in our final verses, the conclusion of 1 Peter, today Peter's going to basically tell us that same thing, be alert, be careful, be watchful. Now, why is Peter going to end the letter with this warning to be alert and to be careful? Probably for the same reasons that we say it. Because he loves the people of God and he wants them to thrive. Because he knows that we all face dangers on this journey to our heavenly home. And he knows that great harm can come to us if we're not alert as we walk this life. So to help us think about what Peter's going to show us this morning, I want to ask you a question as we begin this morning. And the question is simple. Are you spiritually alert or spiritually drowsy? If you think about your life, would you say of yourself that I am spiritually alert or would you say I'm spiritually drowsy? In this journey to eternity with God, that future day that Peter keeps reminding us of, if we are not spiritually alert, great harm can come to us. Friends, are you spiritually alert or spiritually drowsy. Now that's a big picture question, so narrow it down to the last week. 
Think of what's happened since we gathered last Sunday. If you look at your life, would you say, yes, I've been spiritually alert this week. I've been reading the Word of God. I've been praying. I've been thinking about the glory and the greatness of God. I've been seeing my own sinful tendencies, and I've been repenting of those and seeking God's grace to change. Or if you reflect on the last week, would you say, you know, honestly, I've kind of been spiritually drowsy. I haven't given much thought to the Word or prayer or to the glory and greatness of God. I really haven't paused to even think about my sinful tendencies or to confess my sins. Friends, which was you this week? Were you spiritually alert or were you spiritually drowsy? That's the question I want you to keep in view as we work through verses 8 and 9 in 1 Peter chapter 5 this morning. Am I spiritually alert or am I spiritually drowsy? Now, as we come to just two verses this morning, verses 8 and 9 of chapter 5, I want you to see as we read this morning how Peter calls us to be spiritually alert. He doesn't just say at one time. He uses three different words here, three different commands to call us to spiritual alertness. But he's also going to tell us why, why it's so important for us not to be drowsy spiritually, but to be alert spiritually. So I want you to look for both the how and the why as we come to these verses. So 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. Can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? I'll be reading out the English Standard Version that you can follow along in your copy of God's Word or on the screen as well. 1 Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful, Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the challenge the word gives us to remind us of what we walk through in life and the call this morning to be spiritually alert. So I pray for myself and these precious brothers and sisters. That, God, today you would use your word and use your Holy Spirit, applying your words to each of our hearts to awaken us to what you want us to be and how you want us to live as your people even this week, Lord. We ask it for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, as we look at verses 8 and 9, friends, we're coming to a very sobering text here. This text has a very dire warning for us. This is also not just a sobering text. This is a glorious text. There is so much hope for you and for me in this text. And we want to see both the soberness of this text, but also the glory and the hope of this text. Let's start with the hard part of this, the reality check of this text. Now, to see the reality check, remember what Peter showed us, what we saw last week. Go back up one verse to verse 7. And remember what we saw last week that Jeff preached for us on. We're told to casting all your anxieties on him, on God. Why? Because he, God, cares for you. So we saw last week this beautiful truth that God notices us. And God cares for us. And God is aware of us. And not just distantly aware, but nearby. And he invites us to come to him because he knows what's going on. And he pays attention to us. Now, Peter's going to follow up with the reality check for us. That God is not the only spiritual being who notices us. And while God cares for us, there's another spiritual being who notices us as well. But who does not care for us, but rather who hates us. Go to verse 8 this morning. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So just as God notices and cares, there's another spiritual being who notices but does not care but rather hates us. Now to make sure we understand what Peter is saying here, I want us to look at five questions to unpack this text this morning to kind of guide us through what Peter is trying to call us to do and to understand. So five questions this morning. Number one, who is the threat to us? Who is this threat to us? Now first of all, friends, in Scripture... We are warned that the greatest threat to ourselves is not out there, it's in here. So as we talk about the threat outside of us, let's not lose sight of the fact that the great danger is in my own heart 
and in your own heart. Scripture warns us about that. Scripture also warns us about the dangers of the world and the temptations that come. But Peter's focused in on this morning about this real spiritual being who stands behind it all, who loves to stir up our heart affections towards sinful things, who wants to lure us towards temptations in that. And so who is the threat to us besides ourself? Here in verse 8, he tells us, your adversary, the devil. Your adversary, the devil. Now, this word devil in the Greek is the word diabolos, and it's simply a title that means an accuser or slanderer. So this was not a proper name for this spiritual being originally. This was just a Greek word that describes an accuser or slanderer, but that title got applied to this spiritual being because it's a good description of what he does. He loves to accuse. He loves to slander God's people. And Peter pairs this title for him with his actions. Your adversary, the devil. He's an adversary. He's one who actively opposes us. So from the outset here, Peter is making sure we realize there is a real spiritual being who hates us. There's a real spiritual being who opposes us, who's always looking to tempt us to sin so that he can then slander us, so that he can then accuse us and bring us down. Now, he goes by other names in the scripture besides the devil. You see him often called Satan. Satan is an Old Testament title as well that also means adversary or accuser. He's also called by his proper name, Lucifer. He's also called by many other descriptions, the tempter, the enemy, the evil one, the adversary, the deceiver, the great dragon, the father of lies. All these describe this very evil but very real spiritual being. But Peter uses the title devil and adversary here. So besides our own hearts, what is the greatest threat to us? Peter says it's the spiritual being named Satan, the devil or the adversary. Question number two, what does Satan want to do to us? What does Satan want to do to God's people, to you and to me? Look at verse 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone, notice this last word here, to devour. Satan hates you so much and hates me so much. His desire is to devour us. This word devour means to kill and swallow something. It's a picture of total destruction. You know, to help us understand his desire to devour us, Peter calls him a roaring lion. He's got a picture of a lion that comes to mind here. Now, we need to clarify this, because if you're like me and we go to the Montgomery Zoo periodically, when we see a lion, I see a kind of skinny, passive, weak lion laying in the shade, kind of looking. If you toss an apple, it might wander over there and eat it, okay? That's so often our image of a lion. That's not the image that Peter's original readers would hear when they think about lions. Because remember, this is written in the time of the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire had a very different use for lions. So i got a picture I want you to see. This A lot of the artwork from the time of Peter would be reflect this. This is the image that would come to mind of a roaring lion seeking to devour something. Because in the cruelty of the Roman Empire, they would take prisoners and put them helpless in a Roman arena full of people watching and all their vileness and corruption. And they would take a food-deprived lion that was angry and cage and release them into the arena so the crowd could watch as these criminals or these people who had been arrested literally got devoured before their eyes by the lion. Other artwork that I'm not showing today shows bloody spectacles of the arena floor covered with blood and decapitated bodies because the lions had torn apart the prisoners. So we don't need an image of the Montgomery Zoo lion laying there hoping for an apple. 
The image here is of a lion that's been caged and is angry and hungry, being released on the prisoners to literally consume them and tear them to shreds and to eat them there. That is the image that Peter's readers would have had to help us get the seriousness of the enemy that opposes us. So go back to verse 8 this morning. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. This is an image of a lion that wants to publicly and totally destroy you and destroy the church. The lions at the time he wrote this publicly and totally destroyed people at the hands of the Romans. And Peter's pulling that to say Satan hates the church and hates you so much. He wants to publicly and totally annihilate you, destroy you, devour you. Now with that, there's a balance that we need to keep in view from Scripture. And the balance is that Satan cannot ultimately destroy us. That if we are in Christ, he cannot ultimately devour us and destroy us. Our souls are secure because of what Christ has done for us. We've been celebrating in song all this morning. Peter starts his letter with that truth. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. We're reminded that in Christ we have an inheritance that's imperishable. No one can take it from us. Not even Satan. It's undefiled. It's unfading. It's kept in heaven for you. And how do we know that Satan can't take it from us? Because by God's power... We are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So as we talk about the enemy wanting to devour us, the balance we must keep in view is that we are secure in Christ. And then as well, we also keep in view the truth from Scripture that Satan one day will ultimately be defeated. This is not like the Star Wars movies I love where you're never quite sure if the force is going to win or the dark side is going to win. Like God tells us the end of the story and Satan's defeat is sure. Revelation chapter 12 verses 9 through 11. And the great dragon, another name for this being, was thrown down. That ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, all these terms I mentioned earlier, the deceiver of the whole world, he is thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For here it is again, the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. So Satan's defeat, oh yeah, and they've conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. He's been defeated. He's been conquered because of God's power. Satan will be defeated. There's no question what's going to happen to him. He cannot ultimately destroy the people of God, and he cannot ultimately prevail at the end. God is all-powerful. He is not. But friends, Satan is not stupid. He knows this. Satan's not there going, you know, I think I'm really going to beat God one day. I think I can really devour the whole church and stop the gospel spreading. He is seeing God prevail throughout all of time. He knows his end is sure. And that just makes him all the more angry, all the more focused on devouring believers while he has time. And so, friends, even though Satan cannot steal our soul from God, even though Satan will not ultimately prevail, he tries and he tries hard to devour our confidence in our salvation. He tries really hard to devour our hope and our joy and our peace and our love. He tries really hard to devour our holiness and our pursuit of Christ's likeness. He tries to devour our resistance to sin. He tries to devour the unity of the church and the witness of the church and the love of the church. He tries to do all he can to render the church and you and me ineffective so that we do not point others to Christ. So who is a threat to us besides our own hearts? Is Satan, the devil. And what does he want to do? He wants to devour. He wants to ultimately destroy you, me, all believers, and the church. Third question, how does he seek to devour us? How does he seek to devour us? And that's also in this image here back in verse 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. 
Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now, this is fascinating. If you're a Discovery Channel nerd who likes to watch all the animal shows, lions do not roar when they're attacking. This is fascinating because we look at this and my mind almost goes to seeing the lion roaring as it's jumping on the person. A lion doesn't attack that way. A lion waits subtly, quietly until the prey comes by and then jumps out in silence and, and to kill the prey and to devour it. Why do lions roar? They say lions only roar in like dawn and at dusk, and they don't roar when there's their prey around. Lions roar to show their power. Lions roar to exert their dominance. This is my territory. I'm the head lion here. So lions are roaring to incite fear in other animals, to show they're in charge there. And so Satan's roaring at us. Why is he roaring at us? For the same reason lions roar, to incite fear in the people of God, and particularly to incite fear in the people of God as they suffer. Don't miss the connection to suffering here. So much of Peter's letter has been about how God uses sufferings in our life, but Satan roars at God's people in their sufferings to try to destroy their faith. He roars at us with the questions when life is hard, going, your life is hard, where is your God in this? He roars at us by saying, I thought God wanted to bless you and get, through, get you through life in an easy way. He roars at us and says, hey, look, see, following Jesus is costly. Is it really worth it for you? Life hurts too much. Is it really worth following God for all this? Theologian Tom Schreiner, who I've really enjoyed reading as we've studied 1 Peter this year, he said it so well. He said, persecution is the roar by which Satan tries to intimidate believers in the hope they will capitulate at the prospect of suffering. Persecution is the roar by which Satan tries to intimidate believers in the hope they will capitulate at the prospect of suffering. So one way Satan tries to devour us is in the midst of our sufferings to roar at us by putting those doubts and those questions in our mind. Where is your God in this? Now this roaring to incite fear is not his only strategy as we see in the Garden of Eden, sometimes a strategy is to whisper those lies. Did God really say to cause us to doubt God? Sometimes a strategy is like Jesus in the wilderness, just direct temptations. You know you want to do that. You know you don't want to do that. And sometimes here, his strategy is to war at us in the midst of our sufferings. And friends, regardless of his strategy, the truth here is that Satan has a scheme and a strategy to destroy you, to destroy me, to destroy God's church. Ephesians chapter 6 Verse 11 tells us of all that. We're told to put on the whole armor of God so that you can stand against the, notice this, the schemes of the devil. Satan and the demons are not haphazard. They're not arbitrary. They have a scheme, a strategy from the pit of hell of how to destroy your life. And one part of that is he wants to use the hardships you face to try to destroy your faith. So who is the danger to us besides our own heart? It's Satan and the devil. What does he want to do to us? He wants to devour or destroy us. And how does he try to do that? He particularly tries here to take our sufferings and to use them to undermine our faith. Now, friends, those first three questions are all things outside of our control, aren't they? These are just the realities of life. As we walk through life in a broken world full of sin and suffering, these are things that we will, as God's people, experience. But the next two questions turn to our responsibility, things that are within, by God's grace, our control. So think back to my opening question. Are you awake or are you drowsy spiritually? Because this is where we have responsibilities that God gives us. So number four, how do we respond to this danger? There's a real danger of an enemy who wants to devour us. How do we respond to this danger? And Peter tells us with a very simple command here at the beginning of verse 9. Verse 9, resist him. 
This is our command. This is our response to the danger that's set before us. We are to resist him, to resist the devil. Now, two important things about this word resist, and these are huge correctives to dangers of, in how people understand this topic of spiritual warfare. Number one, this idea of resisting him, this is an active word, not a passive word. This is an active word. It's not passive. You do not accidentally ever resist something, right? To resist something means it takes intentionality. It takes awareness. It takes some effort. In other words, if we're not actively resisting the enemy, we will be devoured in some way. Does that mean some of you here today may be being devoured with temptations that you continue to fall to, with doubts that you continue to hold on to, with hopelessness you feel in sufferings because you're not resisting? And often in the American church, we live kind of oblivious to the reality of the spiritual battle. We go into the battlefield of life every day with an enemy opposing us, forgetting that there's something that is opposing us, and we wonder why we fall again and again and again because we become passive. We forget this reality. And so this is a corrective for us here because resistance is active. It takes intentionality. But there's a second corrective here that corrects the other extreme when this is often taught or written about. This is a defensive word not an offensive word. This is a defensive word, not an offensive word. Resistance is not, I'm going to go find the enemy, lure him out and attack him and claim him for the glory of God. That's not what this is about. Resistance is us being aware of the danger so we can stand when it comes to us. This is not seeking out the danger. This is us simply being aware of the danger and resisting when it comes. That's why if you go to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13, Ephesians 6 is perhaps the most well-known text on spiritual warfare. We're told, therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able not to run after an attack, but so you can withstand in the evil day. And having done all, Paul repeats it there again, to stand firm. That means we don't have to seek out the demonic. We don't have to go seek out and find Satan. If we live for the glory of God, the attacks will come. And so therefore, we need to be ready to resist when they do come. So it's an active word. It takes intentionality, but it's an active word of defense, not of us pursuing the enemy. So who is a threat to us? Is Satan or the devil. What does he want to do to us? He wants to devour and destroy us. How does he try to do that? By roaring at us in the midst of our sufferings to incite fear and try to undermine our faith. And so what are we to do? We're to resist him. At least to one last question. Here's the big question of the text. How in the world do we resist Satan? He's an unseen spiritual being that's real, more powerful than us. We can't see him, but he can see us. How in the world do we resist Satan in this? And thankfully, Peter tells us in the phrases that follow in verse 9. There's two phrases that follow. And notice what he says. We'll start with the first one. Resist him firm in your faith. That's the first way that we're going to resist the enemy is by focusing on the Lord. We resist him by focusing on the Lord. Notice that phrase, firm in your faith. Friends, what is faith? It's trusting in God. It's not trusting in ourselves. It's not being confident that we have this faith. Is that we're trusting in God and his nature and his promises. So in other words, we resist Satan through faith, through believing, through trusting in who God is and his promises. One of the authors I read this week said it so well. Oh, this is so good. The call to resistance does not summon us to do Herculean acts on God's behalf. The call to resistance doesn't summon us to go do Herculean acts on God's behalf. Believers are not encouraged to gather all their resources to do great works for God. No, resisting the devil means that believers remain firm in their faith. That's in their trust in God. Believers triumph over the devil as they trust God, believing he does care for us and will sustain us to the end. We win the battle by trusting in God. 
And that's exactly how Peter begins verse 8, these two commands. Notice how verse 8 begins. This explains what resistance looks like. This explains what being firm in your faith looks like. He says, be sober-minded and be watchful. Now, friends, I misunderstood this verse for a long time. Because as I read this, now I see, be sober-minded, be watchful. And then he immediately goes to your adversary, prowls around. My mind kind of linked that and thought, okay, we're being called here to be watchful for Satan's schemes. We're called to be aware that Satan is attacking us. That's not what he's calling us to do here. I had this kind of aha moment this week as I was studying early in the week. I thought, let me see how these words are used in the rest of Scripture. What does it mean to be sober-minded? And it just hit me because we've already seen this exact word two times in 1 Peter, literally to be sober. What does it tell us to be sober about? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. We're told, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being, exact same word here, being sober, being sober-minded. What are you thinking rightly about? Set your hope fully on the grace to be wrought to you at the revelation of Christ. We're told to be aware, to be thinking rightly about God and His grace in the return of Christ. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. What are we to focus on? The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled, and here it is again, and sober-minded for the sake of your prayer. So when you see this word sober-minded in the Scripture, Peter's not calling us to be sober-minded about Satan. He's constantly sober-minded to think rightly about God and His glory and His grace that He gives to us in the soon return of Christ. That's the very next word. He tells us the same thing. He tells us back in verse 8, be sober-minded and to be watchful. Some of your translations will say be alert or to be vigilant. What are we to be alert about? When we look in Scripture, it's mainly to be alert for the return of Christ. Most places you see this word used in the rest of the Bible is not about be alert towards Satan, is be alert towards the fact that Christ is coming back. Matthew 24, verse 42 is one of those. Therefore, stay awake, Jesus says, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. So this is the exact same word that we see here in 1 Peter 8, to be watchful, that's translated in Matthew 22 here, is stay awake about the return of Christ. You see, it used the same way in Luke's gospel. In Luke chapter 12, verse 37, blessed are the servants whom the master finds, Awake, same word we see here is being watchful when he comes. So throughout the New Testament, be watchful, be alert, be vigilant is tied to the return of Christ. But it is used one other way in the New Testament, Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful, being alert, being awake. Same word here in it with thanksgiving. So friends, do you see what Peter is doing here? Nowhere in the rest of the New Testament is be sober-minded, be alert tied to being alert to Satan. He warns us about the reality of Satan, but he's not telling us to keep thinking about that. He's saying, think about the glory of God. Think about the grace of God. Think about the return of Christ. Think rightly about all these things about God and His promises and His nature, and that is how we resist. So go back to verse 9. Resist Him. How do we resist Him? Firm in your faith. Have an unwavering trust in God, even in your sufferings. And how do you become firm in your trust in God? Verse 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Think often about God. Think often about His grace. Think often about the return of Christ. Talk regularly to God in prayer. And as we think rightly about those things, we find the strength now to resist the enemy's schemes. So how do we have right thinking, sober thinking? How do we be watchful? Your lives are busy. You're distracted like I'm distracted so often. How do we focus our mind on these things? Pretty simple, right? The Word of God. The more we read the Word of God, the more we talk about the Word of God together, whether we're in a coffee shop or in the church building, the more we focus on the Word of God, the more we remember who God is, 
The more we think about his grace, the more we remember that Christ is coming back, and the more we will find ourselves able to resist the enemy, not because we're fixated on the enemy, but because we're sober-minded about the return of Christ, because we are thinking rightly and are watchful about God's grace. That's why we have this amazing promise in James's letter, James chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. And notice the emphasis on here. There's still a focus on resisting, but that's bookended on either side. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Okay, we think about God, we submit to Him. Resist the devil, and here's a great promise, He will flee from you, but look at what comes on the other side, verse 8. Draw near to God. Do you see that? The resistance in the middle of that, that call to resist, is bookended by submitting to God and drawing near to God. We win the battle. We resist not when we're focused and fixated on the enemy, but when we're fixated on God and His grace. Therefore, He tells us there, draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. And hence, He calls us in to cleanse your hands you sinners, to live a life of repentance and faith before God. Friends, the more we know the Word of God, the more we know God, and the more we know God, the more we resist the enemy. Why? Because the lies of the enemy are no match for the promises of the Word of God. Because the roar of the enemy is no match for the joyful sounds that shout out from God's Word to us. And the schemes of the enemy destroy are no match for the sovereign good schemes and plans of God for you and your life. And so we're told to resist him, not in your own strength, but we resist him by knowing the Word of God and having right thinking about God and his grace and the return of Christ. We do so with faith. That's why in Ephesians we're told to hold up the shield of faith as we think rightly with being sober-minded, and being watchful. Now, there's one other way we resist him, and we're only going to mention it briefly this morning because we're going to unpack this more in two weeks as we get to the end of the letter. But look back at verse 9. Resist him, first firm in your faith. That's trusting him. But number two, we resist him knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Now, friends, we're going to come to this more in two weeks. But Peter is saying you resist the enemy when you think about the Christian community. You resist the enemy when you remember God's plans for the global church. Why? Because the enemy wants to lie to you and convince you that you're alone in this suffering. The enemy wants to convince you to think you're the only one who struggles with that temptation. And the enemy wants you to believe that God is being unfair to you. Look at how easy that person's life is. Look how easy that lost person's life is. And the enemy wants you to think you're different, you're alone. Where is your God in this? And Peter says, no, think about the church around the world. Think about the global church, and you will realize that throughout all generations and all over the world and all the people, the church is a persecuted church, and you are not alone, and you're suffering. And so find strength and faith united with other believers, looking to heaven, trusting in the goodness of God. And again, we'll unpack that more as we think about community at the end of the letter. But let's bring that together for today. I'm going to give you the main idea of the text, and I want us to look at why this is so important to Peter. I want you to see an example from Peter's life. But first, friends, the main truth of this text I want you to remember is this, friends. God calls us to stay focused on Him and trust Him in order to stand strong in the spiritual battles. God calls us to stay focused on Him, to trust Him, so that we can stand strong in the spiritual battles. Friends, we are in a spiritual battle. Every day is a spiritual battle. When you get up and you want to live for the glory of God, you have thrust yourself into a battle. You don't have to go looking for the battle. If you seek to know the Word of God and live by the Word of God, you will be under attack every day because there's a being who hates God and hates you, who will oppose you and tempt you and accuse you and war at you and seek to use your hardships and sufferings to get you to turn from God. But the hope for us, we don't have to fall prey to his schemes, friends. 
That hope is not we try harder. The hope is found in God himself. And the more we focus on God, the more we trust God and go in our faith, the more we'll find our ability to resist the schemes of the adversary. That's why I asked you earlier, are you spiritually alert or spiritually drowsy? Because you are in a battle whether you want to be or not. If you're living for God and seeking to love God, you will be in a battle. Therefore, you need to stay focused on him. Now, friends, I can't help but think as I was reflecting on it this week, this truth is so very real for Peter. Because you see what happens in Peter's own life when he became spiritually drowsy and not spiritually alert. Friends, why would Peter need to be spiritually alert? Well, we're told in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 22, verse 31. In Luke 22, 31, Jesus addresses Peter, calls him by his previous name, Simon. He says, Simon, Simon, behold. This is important. Take notice, Peter. Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. So Jesus warns Peter, you are in a battle, and this very real spiritual being hates you. He's demanding that God allow you to be destroyed by Satan. Now, let me just pause there, sermon for another day. You see the limitedness of Satan here. Satan can't do anything apart from the boundaries God allows. God is sovereign, Satan is not. And so Satan's trying to demand of God that Peter be sifted like wheat. So Peter needs to be alert because this real spiritual being named Satan has taken notice of Peter and wants to devour him and sift him like wheat. So what did Peter need in that moment? Jesus tells him what he needs. The very next verse in verse 32, Jesus says, But I have prayed for you, Peter, that your faith may not fail. So of all the things that Jesus could say to Peter, is not, try harder. Hey, make sure you understand all Satan's strategies of how he's going to bring you down. Get the master plan in place so you can fight him. He says, no, no. Satan's coming after you. You need faith. I'm going to pray for you, Peter, that you have faith. What an incredible hope that is for Peter and for us, that Christ is praying for us that our faith may not fail. And then he challenged him, and when you have turned again, strengthen your boat. So he needs to be alert. Satan wants to sift him, and he needs faith. Now, what would faith look like as Peter's being sifted by the enemy? Well, we see that in verses 39 and 40 of Luke 22. And he, Jesus, came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. So from this is the night that Jesus was betrayed. This is when he goes to the garden to pray, and he has those prayers to the Lord, like, Lord, if possible, take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours. This is the setting that's happening. So Jesus goes out to the garden, the Mount of Olives, and the disciples follow him. Verse 40, and he came to the place he said to them, them includes Peter, pray that you may not enter into temptation. So do you see how this is unfolding here? Jesus warns Peter, Satan is going to tempt you. He's going to sift you. This is a night full of sufferings. He's worrying at you in the sufferings to destroy your faith, Peter. What do you need, Peter? You need faith to stand strong in the sufferings. And what does that faith look like? You need to pray. You need to be prayer and watchful and alert, focused on Jesus. Well, if you know the story, did Peter stay alert and awake and prayerful that night? Verses 45 and 46 of Luke 22, you see that. And when he, Jesus, rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them obeying and alert and watchful and ready for whatever comes. No. He found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter to temptation. Peter failed to do the very thing Jesus had so clearly warned him needed to be done. And what was the consequences of his spiritual drowsiness? Luke 22, verses 55 to 62, you see it. And when they kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl seeing him, he sat in the light and looking closely at him said, this man also was with Jesus. But he, Peter, denied it, saying, woman, I do not know him. Verse 58, and a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. 
And Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. And what does Peter do this time? Man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him before the rooster crows today, you'll deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. Friends, Peter was not being aware. Peter was not doing the very thing he now challenged us to do. He was not being sober-minded. He was not being watchful. He was not resisting. Why? Because he was not trusting in the promises of God. He was not trusting in the warnings of God. He was not being watchful. He was not being prayerful. He was oblivious. He was drowsy to what God had said. And so we see him fall and fall publicly as the enemy begins to devour him. But friends, don't forget, God restored him. God's a God of mercy and grace to his own people. That's why Jesus looked at him. You see the beginning of Peter's repentance there as he goes out and he weeps bitterly. You see much later that Jesus restores him and commissions him to feed the sheep, even as his letter continues to do for us today. And friends, this wasn't just real for Peter. This is real for me and real for you as well. Because how many times in our lives have we fallen prey to the enemy's schemes, those temptations, those doubts, those lies of the enemy, because we're not focused on God because we are not firm in our faith, because we're not being sober-minded and being watchful. So, friends, what does God call us to do? He calls us to focus on Him, to trust Him, so we find strength for this spiritual battle. So back to my opening question for you, friends. Are you spiritually alert? Are you spiritually drowsy? It's not just a nice little philosophical question for the day. This can be a matter of life and death whether or not you enjoy the blessings of God or whether or not you fall prey to the enemy. Are you spiritually alert or spiritually drowsy? Friends, let's be a people this week who cry out to God to turn our hearts to him so that we think often about his greatness and his glory, so that we long for his word that anchors us in our faith, so that we have a growing faith, so that we are spiritually alert, so that we can withstand the attacks that the enemy throws at us as we seek to live for the glory of God. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that you are sovereign over all things. God, we thank you that only you are all-powerful. Only you are all-knowing. And God, we thank you that we know that the enemy is not all-knowing. He's not all-powerful, but you are. So Lord, help us be a people who do not fall prey to the fear that the enemy tries to incite in us. I pray we be a people who do not fall prey to the lies of the enemy, whether it's lies about our sufferings or lies about the importance of holiness or lies about your character and your trustworthiness. Lord, let us be a people who are sober-minded, who are watchful, who think rightly about you, who think rightly about your grace, who think rightly about your goodness and your nature. Lord, we know as we do that, you will strengthen our faith. We know as we, as we strengthen our faith in you, Father, we'll be able to better resist the enemy. So we come to you with complete dependency. God, we can't resist the enemy in our strength. We can't grow in our faith on our own. Lord, we need your grace to be turning our hearts to you. So humbly, Lord, we just simply ask that this week would you grow our faith? This week, would you grow our longings for your word? This week, would you grow our longings for prayer? Lord, this week, would you grow us in being sober-minded? Would you grow us in being watchful? Would you turn us from the here and now, Lord, this week to thinking often about the return of Christ and longing for eternity with you? Lord, strengthen our faith so that we can live as your people this week. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song this morning as we continue to cry out to the Lord for his strength, for his grace, and to turn our hope to him and to him alone. our hope in life and death Christ alone Christ alone what 
To one another, but also as a prayer of dependency of the Lord. Lord, this is what we need you to do in our life this week. We read it earlier, but it ties what Jeff preached last week and what we saw this morning about our need for humility, our need for grace, and our need for dependence on the Lord. So let's read together James 4, verses 6 and 7. Let's say it together. But he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Lord, that is the prayer of us, your people, this day, that you would give us much grace, Lord, to humble ourselves before you, to submit ourselves to you, Lord. We cannot do that in our strength. So we ask that through your word and your Holy Spirit working in us and through the blessing of community and so we're in each other's lives, that this week you'd be turning our hearts to you, that we would experience more and more of your rich, overflowing, abundant grace to live for you this week. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, Gateway family. Have a great Sunday afternoon.